0: This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. There's something about this time of the year that really um, gets me excited, because yes, it gets a little cooler, so I can stand it, but also. Um, Christmas is right around the corner, and I know before we get to Christmas, we have to go through Thanksgiving and all that sort of stuff. And I'm looking forward to that. And um, my students have been telling me that, uh, sir, did you know that that we're going to be off like next week is going to be our last week, and then we're off for a week? I was like, oh, you better believe I did. So yes, yes, I do. But I do want to say thank you again for uh, for coming and being part of our worship today. Um, so thank you, church family. And um, also, I hope that you had an amazing week, uh, a blessed week, and I hope that you saw God working in your life this week. Um, And as much as I possibly can, as much as I possibly can, I try to stay away from promising things. Because for me, promises are pretty important. I remember um, very clearly whenever my uh, mom or my dad promised me something. um, And I remember very clearly whenever they did not come through on their promises. I mean, I will be quite honest with you. One of those things that no kid likes is to be the last one to be picked up. And I will never do that again. Okay. But if it happened again, I'll be like, but you said that you were never going to do that again. Now, and I also vowed, I promised myself that I would never do that. I would never do that as a parent. Um, But promises are easily made, but not easily kept. And from time to time, I have broken my promises. And it pains me. It pains me because I put so much into a particular promise And it pains me, especially when I break a promise with somebody that I care for. And it's totally different if it's somebody that I don't even know that I'm never going to see again. Sure, I can make a promise to you because I'm never going to see you again. But if I know this person, if I love this person, if I care for this person, I make a promise to them and I don't keep my end of the promise, it hurts me. Because I'm hurting somebody else. And so, I try to stay away from making promises. But I don't know what it is, but I think that kids want us to promise them something. Because if I do this and I do that, will you promise me to take me to Target and get a toy? Um, That was a, a conversation we had just this past weekend. So, um, but did I make a promise? No, I'm more experienced. And I said, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I didn't say yes. I didn't say no, but at the same time, um, they know what that means, but, and I can't, I can do that to, to my kids, but I can't get away with that with my wife, Laura. If, if she says, do you promise me? I say, ah, we'll see. That doesn't really fly, right? And she doesn't accept it like my kids do. Um, for whatever reason, I still don't know. But the funny thing about a promise, it really depends on a couple of things. what exactly I am promising and to whom I am making this promise. So like I said before, I can promise the we can promise the moon to somebody that we will never see again. but when that promise is made, to someone that we actually care about, that we have feelings for, that we that we trust, and we trust that they trust us. It's a very different thing entirely. And if we see that person on a regular basis, like every day, it's a big thing, a real big thing. And people remember if they uh, if they forgot. People remember. Even if they forgot or they say they did, um, people remember. And chances are that that they remember exactly what you said and what you did. And for kids, it seems like, again, they have this great memory. And when it comes to making promises that, that you made to them. And again, I feel like they want us to make these promises. And they'll remember that you made a promise to them, but they not—they might not remember what they promised to you. Like they promised, yes, I will take out the trash. Yes, I will do my homework. Yes, if I can do this, if I can get this, if I can go here, yes, I will clean up my room. I'll do whatever, right? They don't remember that part. And funny how it works though, because we remember other people's part of the promise, but it might be a little bit harder for us to remember our part of the promise. But, what about when it comes to something really big, really big in our lives? What about when we are so deep into a situation that we do something, we'll do anything it takes to get out of it? And what about those times when we are um, in need and we really, really want something so bad that it hurts? What about when we are absolutely desperate and nothing else has worked up until this point? Many times in these situations, we turn to God. And if God does come through on his end of the bargain, we are faithful To complete it, right? Maybe. Today we ask this question, what would you do? This is our series that we're we're asking this question, what would you do? And it's really looking at faithfulness in trying times, which if you are human, you've had some trying times. So today we look and we ask this question, we look at the life and we examine the life of Hannah. And we ask the question, what would you do if you were in the same situation as Hannah? What would you do? So today we ask ourselves that question, and we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, to find out more about this faithful servant. And remember, I, I asked you to do this. When we're asking this question, we're basically reading ourselves into this story, and we Are trying to put ourselves in Hannah's shoes to see what we would do in that situation. So a little background about first Samuel. First Samuel comes directly after the book of Ruth and it introduces us to a monarchy not previously known by the Israelites. But before we can meet our first king, we are introduced to a prophet. This section of Samuel pays particular attention to Samuel's life from a prayer, beginning with the prayer of a certain woman, to his birth and to his dedication before he becomes a prophet. Now remember, a prophet, just, just the word itself, is merely just being a mouthpiece for God. God relays God's message to a particular individual, and it is that individual's responsibility then to relay this message to its intended audience. So, very simply, a prophet is a messenger. But before there was Samuel, there was Hannah. And here we read about who she was, what she did. And why she was so important to the life history of who we are as humans. That she was included here in this narrative. In our narrative. So we begin with this. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 1. There was a certain man. And I'm going to kind of butcher these a little bit. But um, I'm trying to be honest with you here. These are not words that I speak every week. So there was a certain man, um, I'll read from here, in Ramathium, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Eli, son of Tahu, son of Juf, and oh, an Ephraimite. Okay, so that's that we got through that part. Let's keep on going. Uh, I'll let you all try that one later on so you can read it 10 times fast and see how you do. But um, but he had two wives. We're talking about Elkanah here. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his own town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, um, let's see, Hophni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, He would give portions to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her. That's Peninnah. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more than 10 sons? Okay, so first of all Um, if you don't know this um, far be it from me to be the first person to say this so guys don't ask questions that you don't want the answer to and don't think that you know better than women Uh, it's hard it's really hard but we want to fix things we want to say okay what's going on how can I fix it sometimes it doesn't mean that you have to fix it they just want you to listen And so we listen here. And unlike the accounts of other biblical figures who claim our attention only after they assume leadership, this is a story of Samuel. And even before there's Samuel, there's Hannah. But in particular, Samuel, like that of Moses and Samson, the story begins even before their birth. So the stories uh, of Samuel and his birth establishes the spiritual devotion of his family from day one. They would go every single year, and they would sacrifice, they would go from their town. Tam- they were very devout in their religious practices. So the story begins with a taking, uh, by taking its time to firmly establish Samuel within the Israelite tradition like that of Isaac and Jacob and Samson who were all born to mothers who couldn't have children. And yet somehow they did. And we also see that Elkanah's faithfulness was shown by, again, his annual pilgrimage to Shiloh and the special sacrifice portion that he reserved for his beloved, his barren wife, Hannah. Hannah at this place She was sad. She was in a very dark place and she felt stuck. Was this how life was going to be for her always? Was it always going to be the same thing over and over and over that she was going to be teased about this over and over and over? Yes, she received the kindness from her husband um, by getting a double portion. But was that enough for her? She was teased every single day. And even if somebody else didn't tease her, she was feeling the weight of her disappointment every single day. And when she looked at the mirror, she was probably thinking to herself, why? What's wrong with me? What did I do to deserve this? And to add insult to injury and really pouring salt on this gaping, raw wound, Penina teased her and taunted her because of it. Was this just what she was doomed to live out her life in this particular way? In a way that she seemed separate from every other woman that she knew, because it seemed like every other woman in the world was able to have children, but she was not. She was not able to do something that women should be able to do. She was different. And to read ourselves into this story, imagine the pain and the torment that she must have felt and endured day in and day out with no end in sight. Imagine all of the looks and the snickering as she would walk by. You know that they know. And you relive that heartache every single time you open up your eyes. Somehow, Somehow you must muster up enough courage and sheer strength just to endure the day. And despite Elkanah's compassionate response to her, it simply isn't enough to stop the daily pain that she must endure. And she knows, she knows that he feels for her. She can feel that. He loves her, there's no doubt. But then she must wonder, at some point, why he loves her. If she cannot do what she's supposed to. She, she's not able to. Why, does she even, why is she even kept around anymore? So Hannah turns to God for help. Because nothing else has worked before. So why not try turning to God? And so we continue our story In verse 9. So after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, and hear this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only, if only you would look on the misery of your servant and remember me, and forget and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child. I'm gonna repeat that one again because this is her vow and is very important here. This is what she promises God. Oh Lord of hosts, if only you will look on On the misery of your servant, and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child. Then, if that happens, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, nor razor shall touch his head and she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. He's always scolding her already. Whoops! But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, because that's how she's felt before. So do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then, then, Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. Now, let's read ourselves back into the story. Here we read about this, the contrasting of our privileged knowledge of what's going on with Hannah that not everybody else knows, right? It's like the narrator saying this is what's going on and yet not everybody else knows what's going on. So we have this privileged knowledge of Hannah's behavior and it's it's, um, contrasted to Eli's what Eli observes of her. And this really makes Eli seem a little obtuse in a sense, like he just doesn't get what's going on. And however, we eventually see later on, the priest reacts generously to Hannah's explanation, although she doesn't tell him exactly what she's doing or what's being said, just that she's pouring out and she's praying um, to God. And here we see find, uh, Hannah finally, after she receives this blessing basically from Eli, she finally is able to be at peace as her countenance was sad no longer. And something changed for Hannah. Everything that she had tried before, it wasn't working. She wasn't getting the desired result, and she wasn't feeling the peace that she so desperately craved. But here, something changed. She was no longer being weighed down by her disappointment, but she was freed for joyful obedience. She was able to enjoy her life once again and be able to lift up, being able to be lifted up by a rising sense of hope and anticipation. And for years, she only knew grief and pain, but now something was different. Hope was reintroduced into her life. And if she got her hopes up one more time, just one more time, and she was disappointed by the outcome again, well, that's nothing new. But in the off chance that things actually did go her way for once, that would be a new experience in her life and something worth hoping for. So the part... I want to concentrate here on is the vow that Hannah makes. And again, I'll read it one more time. O Lord of hosts, if you only look on your on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a male child then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall neither drink wine nor intoxicants nor razor shall touch his head. So let me ask you this, how desperate, how desperate must she have been to make this big claim, this big promise, this huge vow? She was able to do this because she was desperate. She had tried everything else and nothing was working. And so Hannah receives this blessing from the priest. Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition that you have made to him. And she does go in peace, finally. A peace that has been escaping her for as long as she can remember. But I won't leave you in suspense, even though that's where our scripture ends for today. I'll tell you the rest of the story. Spoiler alert. We read a little bit later that she was in fact blessed with a son. And in keeping with her vow, she did dedicate her one and only son to Eli and a life of service of God. And she knew exactly where this blessing had come from and who exactly made this possible in the first place, because she made a promise. She made a vow with God, and God came through on his side of the promise. But now it's up to her. Was she going to do what she said she was going to do if? Indeed, she was blessed with this son. And it pains me for Hannah because she prayed so long and so hard for this son. And she did not even get to experience raising him. She had so much love to share. She had so much care that she had saved up. She had been banking for years in the hope that maybe one day she would have a child. She doesn't get to give that to her child. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this story about Hannah? My thought is that even if you were the best version of yourself, chances are, if you're anything like me, you would probably not have been able to do what she did. Somehow she was able to give up her only son, the son that she had prayed for her her entire life, and she was able to give her son up in service to God. That's her part of the bargain. and She did that. Now what exactly, let me ask you this, now turning the tables just a bit, what exactly was it that you prayed for? Or what exactly is it that you are praying for now? How desperate were you? How desperate are you? What did you vow to God to be blessed in this particular way? I promise God, if you do this for me, like, really, if you do this for me, I'm not even kidding around. This time I'm serious. I will do this for this amount of time. Or, if you do this for me, God, I'm serious about this. I will not do this anymore. I promise. I promise. So, the question is, did you actually come through on your promise whenever God came through on his? And if you did come through, did you come through for the amount of time that you said, forever, or for the next year, or for as long as I can remember, right? Did you come through? And this is not really meant to to convict you in a way that that makes you feel bad about yourself. No, it's a wake-up call, because there is good news. There is good news. And if for some reason that you did not end up keeping your part of the deal, or at least for not as long as you said that you were, It's not too late. You can still decide to be a person of your word. You can still decide to be a person who faithfully keeps their promise and vows. As an eternally thankful servant of God, you can still follow through on what you said that you were going to do. Now we have opportunity after opportunity to keep our word in the past. Now, either we lived up to that, either we, we, we did what we were supposed to, or we didn't. And deservingly or undeservingly, we will have many, many, many more opportunities in the future to keep our word. We did and said whatever it took in order to get what we asked for. Let us now Be faithful to complete our end of the bargain, our end of the promise, just like Hannah did. No matter how difficult, no matter how inconvenient, and no matter how much we really didn't even mean it in the first place. Or how much we just don't want to do it. We are promise keepers we are promise keepers in response to the blessings that God lavishes upon us time and time and time again. God keeps God's promise to us. And it might not come in the time frame that we want it to, but when it does come, how will we respond? Will we be people of our words? Will we be promise keepers? My hope And my prayer is that you will take advantage of this wake-up call today. That all those times that you did not come through on your end of the promise, that this would be your turning point. This would be your wake-up call. This would be the time when you can go away in peace because you know that you are being taken care of. God sees you. God knows you. And God knows that if you're going to promise something, God does want you to bring it to fruition, but God's going to give you everything that you can, that you need in order to do so. So here we are. Here we are. We have opportunity after opportunity before us to keep our promises. And when we're asked with that question, what would you do in this particular situation? We don't have to think about it too often or um, we don't have to think about it, um, really think like, I wonder what would happen because we are presented with that opportunity every single day. God keeps God's promises. Now it's our turn. Even if we didn't do it in the past, now it's our turn to put our faith into action, to rely upon the power and presence of God in order to fulfill those promises and live in To this promised life that we have of goodness and mercy that follows us every single day. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church podcast. Blessings.